Thank you, worship team. If you have a Bible or a device, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if you are kind of new to the Bible, take your time finding it. It's in there somewhere. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Happy Mother's Day again to all of our mothers. There is something about a mother's special heart for her child. There's something about a mother's love. I've observed it with all the wonderful Christian mothers we have here at Woodside. I've observed it in my mother's life. I've observed it in my wife's life as she mothers our three children. A mother's special heart for her child. Uh, two quick things and then we'll move on. When I was, uh, we were at a soccer game, my oldest was playing, you know, Timbit soccer and then got a little older, played in the next level. And we as parents were in our lawn chairs on the, on the sideline, and my oldest scored a goal. It was his first goal. My wife jumped up from her lawn chair, kind of on the field, and did a jig. <laughs> wow. That was her son. Uh, then with my youngest boy, uh, this happened, and it actually happened a few times, uh, but my youngest son playing hockey uh, got hit into the boards from behind, uh, which was a penalty, and, uh, and my wife just gets up from her seat, and she is an emo she's emotionally engaged. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. And that guy on the ice, he didn't have a phone in his hockey equipment, but if he did, I'd be texting him. I'd get to the penalty box quick, somewhere safe. The boy that you hit, his mom is right beside me. It's, no. Moms have special hearts for their kids. And uh, we can learn, those of us that aren't moms, we learn a lot from our mothers. We really do. Uh, in our series, uh, as we study through the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is going to talk today about being a leader. He's going to talk about his leadership. We're going to ask the question, why is he talking about his leadership? He's going to talk about that. But interesting, when he talks about being a leader, he uses a metaphor, the metaphor of a mother. He, he says, in a sense, we're leading like this. Hey, if you're a leader, you lead like this. Lead like your mama led you and took care of you. That's how you are to lead. And so today, what we want to do on Mother's Day, I want to encourage you mothers um, that we're going to focus on how to lead as a Christian mom. So we look at Paul's leadership, and he talks about a mom, how to lead as a Christian mom. If you're uh, a dad, this can apply to you as a leader in the home, as an uh, uh, employer, or if you have people you lead, uh, this can apply as well to you. And here's the question, how do you get your child who is over here, to a different place. Leadership, by definition, is going out in front and calling someone or calling people to follow. That's what leadership is. And if you're a Christian mom, how do you get your child right here to reach their potential over here? That you would draw out their potential spiritually, athletically, academically, relationally, emotionally? How do you get your child from here to grow to be the person Jesus created them 
to be? And today we're going to, I'm going to just share the short answer. There's a long answer, moms, but I'm going to share the short answer as we look at the Apostle Paul leading in from the church at Thessalonica. So if you're new to, to Woodside, great to have you with us. And uh, 2,000 years ago, a guy who, who was hostile to all things Jesus, he was a really religious leader, a real person in history, uh, a really religious guy, he met the risen Christ, the guy that he hated more than anything, and Jesus Christ changed his life, changed the lives of those disciples. Jesus appeared to over 500 people, and Paul and the others, they took the good news that Jesus rose from the dead throughout the Roman Empire. And here we are 2,000 years later as followers of Jesus, and we are still proclaiming the good news that Jesus rose from the dead, and he is coming Back. So let's look. First Thessalonians 2, we're going to talk about moms and uh, leading as we look at Paul's leadership. Paul writes this. <clears throat> you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Notice the phrase, you know. He's going to repeat it three times, you know. He's going to say, you remember. He's going to say, you are witnesses. Now, why does he bring that up? When our kids were growing up, the three of them, we tried to, in the summer, take them to a different city, so we took them to Montreal, we took them to Quebec City, we took them to Chicago, to New York, to Boston, to a number of cities. And when we were walking through the cities, we would find from time to time street performers. Everybody familiar with a street performer, right? And they're, they're juggling or they've got some trick, something they're doing. And then there's always a little basket there or they're playing some music and there's a little basket there, right? These street performers. 2,000 years ago, when Paul made his visit to Thessalonica, which is in Europe, at that time, it was a common sight throughout the Roman Empire to see these people called, they were more than street pe preachers, they were more than philosophers, and, uh, they were like entertainers. Philosophers, if you go back to the Greco-Roman world, you think of, of um, uh, Aristotle, um, Plato, um, Socrates, right? Hundreds of years later, there were people that had a bit of philosophy, but in addition, there were public speakers, and they were entertainers, and they would go from town to town, into a, a, a town, find the market square or someplace, and draw a crowd. They didn't have entertainment like we do today, so there's no Netflix to watch. People would come to the crowd, and they'd listen, and they'd watch, and then they would try to get money from the people. It was about money and fame. And these sophists, and there's some other strands as well, but sophists had a bad reputation because they would take money from you. They would use you. Yeah, they do a little entertainment, but they had another agenda. And Paul says, you know when we came to Thessalonica, we weren't like them. S separate truth from fiction. You know what really happened. These rumors, these accusations that are against us because there were people who didn't like Jesus in that day, just like there's people that don't like Jesus today. There were opponents of, of the gospel, of the good news. And so when Paul had left, and it had been a year since he left, these people had come in and said, Paul is only after your money. You can't trust Paul. He's one of those street philosophers. He's just like them. And Paul, he didn't care about his reputation, but he cared about the gospel, the good news about Jesus that he was trying to share. And he's like, that's not true. You know. He goes on in verse 2. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi as, notice again, you know. 
But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel, God's gospel, in the face of strong opposition. Paul, if you read in Acts 16, had just come from Philippi, was up the road from Thessalonica, talking about Jesus in Philippi, starting a church there, talking about Jesus in Thessalonica, starting there. But while they were in Philippi, they were stripped and humiliated and beaten. It was illegal what happened to them. And Paul had these marks from a whip, from a rod on his body. And he says, you know the shameful treatment that we received just prior to coming to you. But we still told you about Jesus in light of all of that. And he's asking him, them the question, why would we endure beatings if we were just street performers? He's saying to them, I'm not in this for, their, for money. I'm not in this for fame or power. I'm not like them. I'm doing this for Jesus. Everywhere I go, I'm beaten, I'm put in prison, I'm, I'm uh, spit upon, like I'm just receiving the worst treatment. Do you understand why I'm doing it? It's not to make money. I'm not a con artist, not a religious charlatan. He goes on, verse 3, for the appeal, my calling you to believe in Jesus, for the appeal we make does not spring from error. We're not crazy or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. We're not trying to lure you in. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, God's gospel, his gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Paul says, I want to remind you, this gospel, we didn't make this up. God, it's God's good news. We're recipients of it. I used to, I used to hate Jesus until I saw him alive. And God, in his grace and mercy, allowed me to put my faith in Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I have eternal life with him. I'm a recipient of that gospel. I've been entrusted with it. And now that's, I'm passing it along to you. Again, trying to separate himself from this other group. Verse 5, you know... There's that phrase again. You know we never used flattery. We didn't say nice things about you to get money, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. You know in Greek theater how they wear different masks for different roles. We, we weren't wearing any uh, masks. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. We could have asserted authority. We could have said, hey, you know the sophists? You know those street philosophers? It's socially acceptable for them to get money. For us, we could have asked for money, but we didn't. And for us, we could have said, hey, we've got the greatest message of all. Treat us as important. But we didn't do any of that. Instead, notice that word, it's a hinge word. So he's saying, we're not like this. We were like this. We were like Little children, the word there means like a, like a little one-year-old. Do we call one-year-old infants still? Oh, toddlers? I don't know, one-year-old. We're like a little one-year-old child. You, you know with a one-year-old, what you see is what you get. There's, there's no hidden agenda. That's what we were like. And then he flips the metaphor as he still talks about his leadership. He flips the me metaphor to parenting. So look what he says, verse 7. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you, because we loved you so much. 
we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul says, you know, when you look at mom, especially a nursing mom, but mom cares for you. She gives you time and attention. You know, mom loves you. You know, mom, she gives her life to you. She sacrifices to you. Sometimes she has needs that she defers because she's looking after you. We were just like moms. That's the way we led. And then he goes on, verse 9. Surely you remember, you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we, while we preach the gospel of God, the good news about Jesus, to you. You are witnesses. Again, you were there. You saw it. You are witnesses. And so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Paul was a well-educated rabbi. But when he met Jesus Christ, he took the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. In addition to being smart and writing and sharing the good news of Jesus, he used his trade, that of a tent maker, more specifically a leather maker, he used his trade to help finance his travels. And he said, you remember when we worked day and night. It's the idea here. You remember when we got up before sunrise and I was running my business to make some money. And then you remember at lunchtime uh, in the Mediterranean sun where people just have a little break and, and I'd go to your house or I'd go into the community and talking about Jesus. And then you remember at the end of the day when everybody went home for their meal, I went back to work with my team, working my fingers to the bone so that we didn't have to charge to share the good news of Jesus with you. He's distancing himself from these people that all they want is money. And notice there too, he says, we not only worked ourselves hard, but we lived in a right way. We were holy, righteous, and blameless. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross has been applied to your sin, you are holy, righteous, and blameless. Okay, everybody got that? Okay, you're not a pathetic sinner. You are holy, righteous, and blameless. That's your position. And what you are in practice is to be who you are. So that's spiritual growth, sanctification. You're becoming more and more like Jesus. You're closing that gap. Holy means set apart for God. Righteous means living right with people. And blameless means being just, that people can't find fault. So moms and dads, here's who you are. When you make a mistake and that gap is blaring to your kids, make sure you apologize. Say you're sorry. Forgive me, because that's not... Uh, who you are. You want them to see that you're becoming more like Jesus. So Paul says, you saw how we lived. We lived out the gospel of Jesus. We were, we would say today, good followers of Jesus. We were Christians. Then he goes on in verse, verses 11 and 12, and again he flips the, the metaphor. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You know a father, as he teaches, he, he encourages, he comforts, urging, he, he exhorts, he challenges. That's what we did as a father. We were teaching you, exhorting you, to live worthy of the God that made us and died on a cross for us. So Paul, in this text, on the surface, 
it seems like he's defending his ministry against accusations because he wants the gospel of Jesus to continue to go forth. And so on one level, yes, that's true. But on a deeper level, he's showing us how to follow Jesus, how to live and bring the gospel to other people. And in particular, how leaders are to lead. So I want to pause now and then talk about moms leading your child from here to there. How do you do it? Notice on the one hand that a mom, a leader, is to be loving, caring, and sacrificing. Verses 7 and 8, just as a nursing mother cares, loves, shares, gives their lives. So on the one hand, there's that. But on the other hand, it's about teaching and training and motivating in verses 11 and 12, talking about the father doing those things. Now, that's not to say, moms, you just nurture and care. Dad, you do all the teaching. Okay? In the Greco-Roman world, the fathers did do the teaching, and they taught their, their child, their children, trades. If they were Jewish, they taught their child the Torah. And so the first five books of the Bible, your child, you, you helped your child to memorize the Torah. That's not the call. What Paul is not saying is, hey, moms, you do this, dads, you do this. He's talking, the idea here is a partnership, that there needs to be both. And that means moms, at times you are nurturing and teaching. Dads, at times you are nurturing and teaching. You're complementing one another. And if you are a single parent, can I say, if you have a gap in that caring or that motivating, there's a gap somewhere, that you would look and pray for someone in your family or someone in the church to kind of help close that gap so that your child can have both of those things. Because children need both that caring and love and they need that teaching and motivation. Sometimes your child, right moms, you just need to hold them and love on them and be there with them. And you're not saying much. And maybe you're crying with them. or Maybe something good has happened and you're just celebrating with them. But you're just loving and caring. Just being a mom. But at times, moms, and I'm speaking as a mother, right? Okay. Um, I'm observing. At times, moms, you need to encourage or motivate without literally picking up and encouraging your child to move, to get out of that comfort zone. Yeah, I understand, and yes, yes, yes. But here, and you're, you're, you're trying to teach them and motivate them. Our kids need both of those things. And just a note to you moms and dads, you do realize that as you're raising your children, God wants to work on you, right? Your kids are like a little chisel. You're a diamond in the rough, and God's just like... If you're over here and you tend to be harsh with your kids, kind of like, I told you, and just like motivating, and you're just way over here, God wants to take your child and use him or her to chisel away so that you will move over here and become more merciful and humble and patient. And then if you're over here and you're a parent and you're more the just, oh, I just love my child, yeah, but your child can't sit in a comfort zone forever. You need, you need God to use that child to make you more bold, to give you a 
backbone, to give you more resolve and courage. So as you're parenting, remind yourself, oh, God's working on me. Same thing goes if you're with your spouse. You're married, right? Your spouse is a chisel, right? I've said to my, in our marriage, my wife and I, we've had this kind of idea or thought or word that says, God is using you in my life. But we're kind of saying it sarcastically, right? God is using you, right? God is at work as you raise your kids. So you're not just focused on them. You're looking, God, what do you want to do in my heart? Now, all of that to say this, though. Raising children is a ridiculous amount of hard work. And it's hard because you're not always popular, right? It's a ridiculous amount of hard work. Stop and think. You have a little baby, a little child. you got to clothe and feed that baby for years, right? Outside of the diapers, then they got their teething, and then they got... And you're just like, that's a lot of work. It really is. Anybody else, yeah, you can kind of identify? Or am I the only guy? Okay, like, it's just, like, exhausting. But... If you want to do them more than just the maintenance, you actually want your child to follow Jesus. You want to bring out your potential uh, in the, your child so they'll be all Jesus created them to be. That's like reading children's Bible stories to them. That's like, and it just goes on, taking them to church, all of these different things. That's even more work. That's a lot of work. Can I get an amen from our moms this morning? Yeah. You, you're tired, right? So many of you are just exhausted and tired, especially with the pandemic, right? So you get your maintenance, you're trying to raise them for Jesus, then you get all the stress of the pandemic. You're just whipped, you're tired. And the question I ask you, and by the way, uh, for you young moms, you're always going to be a mom, so it's, yeah, it's 24-7 for the rest of your life. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to all our moms. <laughs> oh. But the question is this, moms, why should you do that? Like, why should you exhaust yourself and raise these kids? Why do you do it? Can I ask you that, mom? Is it so your child will be happy? Maybe you've said that. That's the sentiment we hear all the time. I just want my children to be happy. Stop and think that through. That's it? To be happy? That your child... Lord willing, will live three score and ten years, and you're hoping they'll chase after happiness, and maybe for a short little period of time, they'll find that happiness, and God forbid that anything should happen to them and they should suffer, because suffering, according to the atheist narrative, and according to the naturalistic worldview, has zero purpose. You just want them to be happy, and then they die, and that's it? That's all? Moms, you want a giving heart where you love your child and sacrifice, but you want a gospel heart. And Paul in this text is saying, the reason I'm doing all that I'm doing is because I want you to know Jesus. Look what he says back in verse 4. He says, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. He says, we dared to tell you the good news about Jesus. We delighted to share the good news of Jesus. We preached to you the good news of Jesus because we have received the good news and we want to share it with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, 
You are a sent one. You are a recipient of the good news. You are entrusted with it. And it starts in your home with your kids. That you are continuing to point them to Jesus. So how do you get your child from here to there? Lots of love. Lots of hard work. And Jesus. In the context of being a mom or a dad who's reaching out to other parents and those in our community of faith and to our parents, and we're like, what do I do when this happens? And what do I do with this? And I'm struggling over here and I've lost, I'm at the end of my rope here. In the midst of reaching out for help, it's a lot of love, hard work, and Jesus. And I want to encourage you moms that you would go again and again somewhere in your week to the cross that you would meet with Jesus one-on-one somewhere in your schedule, some of you just daily, where it's just you and Jesus and you're at the cross. Because it's at the cross, that's where the battle is fought. It's not fought with your kids. The battle for victory is fought, fought at the cross where you understand, God, you are sovereign over my child. I'm gonna do my best to help them, but I can't control them, you can. And you remind yourself of what God did for you, and you want to pass that along to your children. The Apostle Paul, as he was leading, he could have quit a hundred times, but you know what was in his mind as he kept going, sharing the gospel of Jesus? He, he talks about it in Philippians 2. To the, this was a, a well-known hymn, a creed, we believe, in the early church. And Paul said, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, who in a, his quality, or who in his nature, was equal with God. He was God. And that Jesus was God. And Jesus left his glorious throne and came to this earth and took upon himself human likeness. And while we're still trying to get our minds wrapped around that, that the God who has no beginning, no end, who is a spirit, took upon himself a human body, and it's not like a coat that he wears for a short time and then he's going to take it off for all eternity Jesus is going to be human, fully God, fully man. That's why we will see God, who is invisible, spirit, in the person of Jesus Christ. But Paul said he just didn't descend from his glorious throne to become one of us. He even went lower. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that Jesus went and sacrificed his life for you. Paul says, let that mind be in you. Mom, let that mind be in you, that as you go through and you're just like, I don't know if I can give anymore. I'm just, I want to quit. That you will remind yourself, Jesus is with you and he wants to help you. And when you're at the cross, that's where you give him all the stuff you're struggling with. Moms, Jesus didn't call you to be perfect. You're not Jesus. If you make a mistake, if you blow it, if you lose your temper, own it. Say to your child, again with that gap, say to your child, I'm sorry. Or will you forgive me? But moms, you're constantly trusting in Jesus, constantly saying, you got to do it, Lord. You're my strength. You're my joy. You're my hope. Lots of love, hard work, and Jesus. I'd like to close, well, second closing point. Talking to moms. I want to talk to dads as well, moms and dads. I want to challenge you to be intentional about Jesus in your home, that you're talking about Jesus in your home. You're intentional sharing Jesus, the stories of Jesus with your kids, because here's why. Your children 
are being raised in a secular culture and they are being fed so much stuff that is not good. They're being told, indirectly, sometimes directly, but they're being told that this life is all there is. They're being told that they're simply an animal with time and chance on their side. They're being told that there's no ultimate transcendent purpose or meaning in life. You've got to make up your own. They're being told the best thing you can do to be happy is to find your story, whether it's a story of materialism, you want that story, get more, buy more, have more, It'll, you'll be happy. Or maybe it's a story of fame. Pick that story. It's like, get more followers on Facebook and Twitter. and Get people to really like you and follow that story. Or maybe it's the story of family. Get married. Get a minivan. Get a house. Well, at least rent for a while and then get a house, right? Or there's all sorts of other stories. Lots of stories. Pick your story. That's going to make you happy. Because it's just the here and now. Friends, not only is that, oh yeah, and by the way, when you live out that story, don't let anybody tell you what to do. Throw off all restraint because morality and marriage and gender, those are all social constructs that go back to the Byzantine era that had to do with a whole bunch of things. They're, they're imaginary. You throw off whatever you want to do because you'll be free. You want to be happy? Be free. Your kids are hearing that all the time. It's a small story because whatever story your kids choose, they're going to die. That's it? You just want them to be happy? It's a small story, but it's also a hopeless story. Joe Queenan, who writes for a number of magazines, Wall Street Journal, uh, papers, on talk shows, he writes in one of his books about funerals and uh, specifically, like, he's not a Christian, about just funerals of the secular public. And it's interesting, he's a baby boomer and he says this, that he's noticed with baby boom boomers with their funerals that there's, as you go to a funeral, there's kind of like a cover-up or a denial of the pervasiveness of hopelessness that is part and parcel of the average funeral. That he's like, we go to these funerals and we can't face our mortality, so we do this. And he talks about going to a funeral where it's turned into a party or to a video show or anything just to not have to not think about our mortality. And why do we do that, he says? Because death is hopeless. Moms and dads, your child is being raised in a culture that says, live your small story, and that's all there is. Paul, 2,000 years ago, went throughout the Roman Empire, and we here 2,000 years later talk about another story. It's a bigger story. It's a true story. It's a story of hope. If you're not a follower of Jesus, guess what? There is hope for you. There is hope for the world. 2,000 years ago, hope came to our world, and it didn't come as an idea. It came as a person who died on a cross, was raised the third day, is alive and coming back again. And that's why Paul, as he's writing to them, 
and, and uh, them, you know, we weren't like this. We were like this. He then says this to them at the end of chapter 2. Again, Paul always takes a block of thought, connects it to the second coming of Christ. Look what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul writes, you remember my visit to you? We were hustled off in the middle of the night. It was cut short. We didn't get to say goodbye to you. I've missed you this last year. In his letter, he says, I hope I can see you soon. But he says, if we don't see you here, we'll see you there. When Jesus, who I saw, rose from the dead with my own eyes, when he comes again, because every word he says is true, because he rose from the dead, when he comes again, you will see me there. And oh, that's a day I'm looking forward to. Moms and dads, can you be on mission to say, God, use me, that my children will be there as well. And if you have a child that's following Jesus, praise God, you keep going. If you have a child that maybe is a good person but doesn't really need Jesus, you keep praying for them. But also, you make sure they know that the greatest desire of your heart is that they would put their faith in Jesus. And if you have a child who is a black sheep, who wants nothing to do with Jesus, mom and dad, don't give up, don't quit. I had an aunt, I mentioned this before, or aunt, I had a cousin, family of, I think, 12 siblings, and um, he was a fool. If you look in the dictionary, you would have seen his picture. He didn't just make bad decisions, he made foolish decisions, one after another after another. He was in trouble with the law, all these different things. As I was growing up, I never once, when I was talking with him, heard him say anything that had anything remotely to do with common sense. Before he died, and I believe it was his early 40s, before he died, his mother my aunt called me on the phone. She told him about Jesus when he was younger. She had prayed for him. She called me on the phone, and then she handed the phone to her son, my cousin, and he started to share with me how sorry he was for the life that he had lived. And he shared with me that he'd put his faith in Jesus, that Jesus had forgiven him. And I remember, I can take you to the exact spot where I was sitting in a condominium that day, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And mom and dad, you don't know what God can do. Maybe it's on their deathbed, like the thief on the cross, they call out to him. But mom and dad, be on mission to say, oh God, I want my kids with you.